Hey guys, I'm Abigail Meller, and welcome back to Generation Invincible, a podcast on public health, healthcare policy, and social justice issues by a millennial for millennials, and anyone else that cares about the health problems facing our nation. And in this episode, the world. I have a special surprise for you to celebrate the one-month anniversary of the podcast, our first ever interview on Generation Invincible. Today, I'll be interviewing Colin Shank, a rising fourth-year med student at the University of Pittsburgh School of Medicine. Colin is truly inspirational, having worked literally all around the world to advance health equity within a wide variety of issues. so excited about this episode and hope you guys are too. Y'all ready? Colin is on the line now. Hey, Colin. Welcome to Generation Invincible. Thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for inviting me, Abby. All right. So I'm thinking we can just start with you telling the listeners a little bit about yourself, like your background, what brought you to want to study medicine, and the kinds of work that you've done so far. Yeah, so I'm a fourth-year medical student at the University of Pittsburgh, um, about to apply to residency, looking mostly at family medicine residencies. Um, My interest in medicine um, really is fairly stereotypical. Uh, I was the classic boy who looked up to his father, who was a doctor, but um, it's a little bit more unique in that my mother has been involved in social justice issues um, throughout my life, and um, particularly with youth and in the criminal justice system, and my uncle worked for the U.S. Agency for International Development. So as a child, uh, my family traveled a lot to, um, to low-income countries, um, had a lot of exposure to both intellectual and emotional aspects of, of development and what it means to, to do service work there. So I knew going into college that I was interested in global health and underserved work, but I didn't really know what those meant. Um, and I think my time at the University of Pennsylvania as an undergrad Um, That really taught me the foundations of global health and social medicine um, from a theoretical side, but didn't really, you know, give me the practical experience that that you need. Um, So during college and and after undergrad, um, I have done a variety of primary care projects and some research work in India, South Africa and Mexico and some other countries uh, while also trying to, you know, have an impact wherever I'm located in the U.S. at that time. That's really great. I mean, I I felt like I missed out a lot when I didn't study abroad or do any abroad work in college. So that's really great that you sort of came into college knowing what you wanted to do and then ultimately use that as a basis for spreading out your experiences and making sure that you took advantage of what you had. So, I mean, you're only 27, but you've already done so much and seem to have taken on a lot of different roles under the scope of public health and global health. So what would you say has brought you to this point and inspires you and like drives your passion? Like what has connected you to all the different places and the health problems that you've worked on? Um, You know, I've really, I think, had the privilege of freedom to pursue unexpected opportunities as they arise. As you know, a lot of the kind of social justice and global health uh, Nonprofit organizations rely on free or underpaid labor. And so during and after college, um, I was able to pursue, um, you know, a diverse set of opportunities. And my goal 
early on based on kind of advice from mentors was to collect the most diverse set of, of global health experiences that I could. Um, there are a lot of you know, situational injustices and health disparities um, that really attract our attention, both locally and globally. But um, you know, I really think they can only be understood within this bigger context of the unjust systems that are really underlying um, that are, are foundational uh, to our society. So in trying to get that diverse set of global health experiences, I wanted to be able to grasp these complexities um, so that you know, as I mature intellectually, emotionally, and, um, and develop skill sets, I will be able to, you know, my passions, as they, as they develop and concentrate on particular issues and specific populations, um, I'll really understand how they fit within the broader scheme of things and what the bigger, you know, determinants are that I need to address. Um, and I think while developing that sort of knowledge foundation, um, I also focused on the basic skill sets of how to enter a community respect, respectfully, how to build those relationships, um, and how to, to efficiently prepare to work on unfamiliar issues um, and with unfamiliar populations. Yeah, I think it's really important to understand that when you're working on public health and global health issues, that it's not always just about how that particular issue exists in that place because it's almost always, I would imagine, like 100% of the time connected to the structure and institution behind that country or community. So, And then that you have to respect the customs in order to enter and have them trust you to do the work that you know will help them, but maybe they don't understand that. So like, you know, I looked into once uh, alcoholism in Native American populations and it's really important because you have to spend probably, I think it's like six months to a year just assimilating yourself into the community and getting them to trust you before you can even begin your work. So it's a really long process and it takes a lot of dedication and definitely passion. So I think everyone really respects that. Um, You mentioned to me prior to this interview that the biggest thing that you did during your time as an undergrad was a project in Kolkata, India, where you implemented a large survey and helped design and advance um, a medical clinic system. I find that even on smaller scale projects, we go in with certain goals and hopes in mind and end the project or, you know, leave it as some projects are honestly never ending, having seen or learned something else. What were your goals going into this project and what did you ultimately take away? Um, so the, the organization that you mentioned is a nonprofit called Prata International that some of my classmates at Penn and I started up and managed. We were all majors in health and societies and we had a lot of faculty support and that really made this turn into sort of a practical field experience for a lot of the theory that we were learning in the classroom. So our, our stated organization goal was to create a scalable model of a mobile clinic system. Um, But as this work really constituted my first global health role with real responsibilities, to be honest, my personal goal really was to just do no harm. Um, And I learned that as a global health practitioner and volunteer with minimal training in healthcare, doing no harm is actually much harder to avoid than you would anticipate. Um, there's a there's really like a butterfly effect to every action you take and every relationship you develop in global health. And the most important thing I learned is that an intimate understanding of 
where you're working, who you're working with is critical to avoiding that negative butterfly effect. And um, on a side note, you know, I also learned that the mobile clinic systems are, are really not the long-term answer and typically shouldn't be scaled up. Um, it's an important lesson considering the goals that we went in with, with a, the building a scalable model. Um, I, you know, I personally believe it's relatively easy to develop band-aid solutions like mobile clinics and fancy apps, uh, but these really hardly move the needle on the population level if the government and international supporters aren't deeply invested in building a primary care system from the ground up. Yeah, that's really interesting because I feel like a lot of people think that direct service is always going to be the answer to any problem and that they don't and that a lot of people don't understand that ultimately it's a combination of direct service and and general health changes for example to the to the health infrastructure and system that really make the direct service aspect become a long-term um solution in combination with those changes. I would imagine that between working on health issues in India and South Africa and Mexico, you've seen some pretty harrowing stuff. And even here, I'm heartbroken every day when I think about the health problems facing the United States, which is theoretically supposed to have this amazing and innovative healthcare system. And as we know, it's really far from that. How would you, as someone who is obviously passionate about global health issues and is pursuing a career in direct health services, see yourself and your training tackling these issues? Yeah, in in public health, I think you never really want to lose the forest for the trees, but sometimes the forest is so daunting that you have to narrow your focus, um, in part to help prevent burnout. Um, And so for me, I see individual patient care as the trees in a forest of social, political, economic, and other non-biological determinants of health. Um, To put it another way, I don't think that I can treat patients to the best of my abilities without thoroughly considering their places in the world. And at the same time, in medicine, we tend to reduce patients to collections of risk factors and protective factors associated with their place in the world rather than treating them as persons. So for me, I think direct person-centered healthcare will always be the foundation of my service, and I hope it will keep me grounded um, in the face of, um, you know, myriad challenges. But where my patients are in this metaphorical forest is what I think will guide me in figuring out how to address these endless non-biological determinants of health. I think it's I think it's really great that you sort of keep that in mind just because at least in the United States we're faced with a system that's so focused on the individual versus the overall health outcomes and that's something that currently our healthcare system is trying to reform and move towards the overall health outcomes for the greatest amount of people but I think that doctors at least older doctors that have been in the system for such a long time and may have been in medical school during a time that didn't teach them that mindset, that they're so set in the way of thinking, you know, this individual patient needs this and and that's what I'm going to give them, that they, you know, forget the bigger picture. So definitely the bigger picture is always really important in health. So after undergrad, it seems like you sort of switched from a focus on global health to more of some of the domestic health problems in the United States particularly those related to race. 
I imagine that part of that switch had to do with the, and I know this is sort of an understatement, but time constraints of being a medical student, but what else motivated this change for you? Can you talk about your experiences with advocating against the hospital that you and other med students train at and with the Black Lives Matter movement? Yes, certainly being a medical student um, posed some constraints. Um, Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Lots of time. Yeah, but really I think that the principles of global health that I've learned encourage me and others to really adapt to your surroundings. And that certainly applies in the U.S. as well. Um, You know, I think that sometimes severe poverty in in low-income settings actually can bring less instability than than what we see in the U.S., which is a less severe form of poverty in close proximity to opulence and excess. And these highly combustible disparities, which exist in no small quantity where I train in Pittsburgh, always come with health consequences. And ignoring those disparities and health consequences isn't really an option for me and many other people. Um, You mentioned a situation where the hospital system, UPMC, that's affiliated with my medical school, was challenging affirmative action hiring laws in federal courts. If the hospital won that case, it would have had ripple effects throughout the country and many industries. In our Pittsburgh hospitals, our maintenance and service co-workers are predominantly black, reside in largely segregated, low-income neighborhoods, and make a terrible minimum wage. And these co-workers also happen to be our patients, and our hospital making it even harder on them to have a, a ba- make their basic living was unacceptable. So I helped organize a group of students, and we eventually ended up in a meeting with the top legal staff for the hospital system. And through that process, I learned that medical students have loud voices, both literally and figuratively. (laughs) And I feel it's our responsibility to advocate on the injustices facing our communities, including our coworkers, including the cities, towns, and neighborhoods where we live, but also the global communities um, that we're a part of. Yeah, it's really important to sort of take what you think you're supposed to be doing, but also remember that even this even this one person, the small person, has a social responsibility. And you can choose to ignore it or you can choose to even just take one small step, which you took huge steps. So props to you. But, you know, I think that everyone has a responsibility to just take little steps to correct injustices in their lives every day. And even if that means just buying a meal for the man experiencing homel- homelessness that you pass on your way to work or, you know, going to court and, and advocating for the people that can't advocate for themselves. It's um, extremely important for all individuals. Uh, and I know that most recently you've been working on a partnership between medical students and organizations in Fayette County, West Virginia, that's, that you said has sort of morphed itself into a project about opiate abuse. So how has this project evolved from its original intention? That's a good question because it's really taken a, a winding road to this point. Uh, I originally wanted to develop a project working with migrant workers in the Marcellus Shale fracking industry. Um, you know, random discussions on fracking actually led to communication with uh, activists in Fayette County, West Virginia where we then met community members who were working passionately on issues that were actually totally unrelated to migrant workers and fracking. Um, that led to a, a general community health assessment assessment with buy-in from the Federally Qualified Health Center there, Department of Health, and other organizations. Um, and now, as, as 
um, kind of centered in on, on opiate abuse. So uh, this process, I think, it exemplifies what I really love about community engagement. Uh, what on first glance seems like disorganized activism was actually a deliberate process geared towards community-led research and intervention. And as medical students, we get virtually no training in community engagement, community leadership. We get minimal rural health exposure. So one of my goals for this project was to you know, help fill in those gaps. That's great. I mean, people seem to think that certain areas are always in need and they go to those, but then there's always other areas that are under, that are overlooked, which I think rural areas are definitely an example of that. And um, I also think that it's interesting that, you know, in health, you always have to, there, there's always going to be a priority that over oversees another. And it's important to put that priority ahead of maybe your personal, like, desires for a project in order to make the community a better place to live. So that's really great. Um, and last but not least, as you enter your last year of medical school, do you have any advice for my listeners that want to become doctors or enter the health field in other capacities? I'm full of advice about medical school, as are most medical students. Um, you know, medical training is a long, long road, and the practice of medicine, I've learned, is, is tedious to no end. The glory that you anticipate is actually quite minimal, but for me, the gratification is really beyond even what I had hoped for. So for these reasons, I think the most important thing um, for someone considering medical school is to extensively shadow like-minded physicians, get to know what their daily life is like, what your daily life would be like in the future before committing to medical school. Um, I also recommend taking time off between medical school and undergrad. And if possible, don't shy away from the unpaid positions that allow you to get that wide breadth of experience. And finally, don't aim to be Paul Farmer. Um, instead, start cultivating your humility now because that humility can carry you a long way in this field. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely had experiences working in unpaid internships where I sort of feel like I'm at the bottom of the totem pole, but I know that ultimately... My, the work that I'm doing does serve a better cause. So I feel like that's definitely something that young young med students and young doctors can relate to. But uh, well, Colin, thank you so much for your time for, to be on my show today. I'm so glad I was able to share your work with, and opinions with my listeners. Thanks for having me, Abby. about Generation Invincible, ask questions, make suggestions for future episodes, or if you just want someone to listen to what you have to say, email generationinvincible at gmail.com. Until next time, in the words of Ralph Bunch, who won the Nobel Peace Prize in 1950, if peace is to be secure, long-suffering and long-starved, forgotten peoples of the world, the underprivileged and the undernourished must begin to realize without delay the promise of a new day and a new life.